Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Post-Thanksgiving, pre-Christmas, and today is the first day of Advent. Now, those of you who don't know what Advent is, it's, it's a season of waiting. Uh, the origin of Advent is not in the Bible, but it was a tr- uh, church history tradition started in about the fourth century. And it's a time of preparing your hearts for the celebration of Jesus coming. And that is where, where the word Advent came from. It was a Latin word meaning coming or arrival. And it, it's likened to the Greek word perusia, which is arrival. And it was, dis, it was best described as a time of active waiting. And what it is, many of you don't really know what, what uh, Advent is. We're going to light a candle today. We're going to say a prayer of Advent. It's a time to intentionally draw back from all the rush all the noise, all the stress of our lives, and do a little waiting. Not just sit and wait, but actively waiting, allowing God the time and the space in us to turn our hearts back to him. And uh, it's, it's, a kind of, it's a time to refocus our lives on the Christ child in the manger and to reevaluate our priorities. And there's four Sundays in Advent, which we light four candles, the first one is hope. The second one is peace. The third is, is joy. And the fourth is love. All depicting the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? So Advent is about the incarnation, about Emmanuel, God with us. And it starts with hope. Hope. Today we're talking a little bit about hope. It's an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. And it's longing for something better. Hope is actually the prerequisite to faith. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hoped for. So this season, I I think we need to do some things that will not allow our season of Christmas to be hijacked. I think we really get hijacked a lot. It always turns out in a way that isn't about Jesus so much. But what we want to do, we, want, we, we do look at the world around us and we see the struggle, we see the difficulty, the pain, the hurt, and the longing for something better. And what we do is we grab a hold of hope. We grab a hold of Jesus. We have something the world doesn't have. Amen. So Advent is a season of reflective preparation for the nativity of Christ, celebration at Christmas, and the expected return of Jesus Christ in the second coming. That's what it's all about. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So I was at the door first service and a family comes up to me and they started telling me all their names. They're new in the church. They started telling me their names and one was Noella and one was Emmanuel. And I'm going, did you guys get named by a Christmas person or something? Because Emmanuel, God with us. 
so great to see. So this first week, November 27th, we're gonna, I wanna give an assignment to you. I want you this week to read Isaiah 9 every day. Isaiah 9. Next Sunday, we'll give you another assignment. There are four different chapters. Isaiah 9, one of the great chapters of the Old Testament. Isaiah 9. And so what we're going to do during this Advent season is we're going to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And I'd get ready, man. We've got Christmas Eve on Saturday night this year. Christmas is on Sunday. And are we going to celebrate now? I have had pastors tell me, oh, we're not going to have church on Christmas. I go, what? You're not going to have church on Christmas? That's the best day of the year to have it. So we're going to come together one service on Christmas, 10 o'clock. You won't want to miss it. Now, the Advent actually, and I close with this, and, and we're going to do something here in just a minute. Advent symbolizes the present situation of the church in these last days. In other words, as God's people wait for the return of Christ in glory to consummate his eternal kingdom, the church is in a similar situation to Israel. At the end of the Old Testament, they were in exile. They were waiting. They were hoping in prayerful expectation for the coming of the Messiah. And Israel looked back to God's past gracious actions on their behalf and how he led them out of Egypt in the Exodus. And on that basis, they called for God once again to act for them in the New Testament. In the same way, we the church, you know what we're doing? During Advent, we look back upon Christ's coming in celebration and all the great things he has done for us. And then we look forward in eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he comes back and returns for all of us. That is an awesome, awesome thing that we're doing. Now I want to end with this. This is interesting. You didn't realize that the reefs you put on your, on your doors and on your house they have Advent qualities to them. In other words, the Advent wreath actually first appeared in Germany in 1839. In fact, it was a minister working in a mission for children. He created a wreath out of the wheel of a cart and he placed 20 small red candles and four large white candles inside the ring. The red candles were lit on weekdays and the four white candles were lit on Sundays. Eventually, the Advent wreath was created out of evergreens, which we have today. This symbolized everlasting life in the midst of winter and death. The circle reminds us of God's unending love and the eternal life he makes possible to all of us. Advent candles are often nestled in the evergreen wreath. And then they add, what do they add? Holly and berries. Holly and berries, their red color points ahead to Jesus' sacrifice and his death. Pine cones then are added, and they symbolize the new life that Jesus brings through his resurrection life. Next time you put your wreath up, think about that. You're celebrating Advent. I want uh, Dee to come. Dee's going to read a prayer for us. It's an Advent prayer. Following the prayer, she's going to light the Advent can candle for today, which symbolizes hope. This Advent, Lord, 
Come to the manger of my heart. Fill me with your presence from the very start. As I prepare for the holidays and gifts to be given, remind me of the gift you gave when you sent your son from heaven. The first Christmas gift was the greatest gift ever. You came as a baby born in a manger, wrapped like the gifts I find under my tree, waiting to be opened to reveal your love to me. Restore me to the wonder that came with Jesus' birth when he left the riches of heaven and wrapped himself in rags of earth. Emmanuel, God with us, your presence came that night, and angels announced, into your darkness, God brings his light. Do not be afraid, they said to shepherds in the field. Speak to my heart today, Lord, and help me to yield. Make me like those shepherds' boys, obedient to your call, setting distractions and worries aside. To you, I surrender them all. Surround me with your presence, Lord. I long to hear your voice. Clear my mind of countless concerns and all the holiday noise. Slow me down this Christmas. Let me not be in a rush. In the midst of parties and planning, I want to feel your hush. This Christmas, Jesus, come to the manger of my heart. Invade my soul like Bethlehem, bringing peace to every part. Dwell within and around me as I unwrap your presence each day. Keep me close to you, Lord. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, we pray that this, during this Advent season we would come to recognize you in a deeper way. We pray that you would come and solidify our relationship. Come and reveal yourself to us. Let us have an encounter with you that's beyond imagination. We thank you for the coming of Jesus. We thank you for the nativity. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. We pray today that you would stir our hearts in reflection as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now I got a word for you. This uh, month, we're going we're gonna to do a series called uh, The Coming King. I'm doing one this morning, I'll worship the king, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to center on two figures in the Bible that I think we, uh, we understand them, we've heard of them, but we just kind of bypass over them. I'm going to, and I like this, I started talking about this. Last Sunday, I went to San Diego to preach at a church down there, and I talked to them about how I wanted to decode the Bible for them. I'm here today to decode the Bible for you. Boy, you're quiet today. There's been a lot of turkey, a lot of that stuff in the turkey that makes you sleep. Wake up, says the Lord. <laughs> so I want to decode it for you. I want to give you application today. And I want to take the two characters in the Bible, Mary and Joseph. Now you may think, oh, I know all about Mary and Joseph. No, you don't. Let's talk a little about, a bit about them today. This, this nativity night that we're, we're celebrating in just a few weeks, this night changed everything for every human being, both before and after the event. 
Now think about this. God steps from his throne, he removes his robe of light, and he wraps himself in skin, human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark world. Now think about this. This is the creator of the universe. Think how big the universe is. He comes and he enters a dark world, and he who the angels worship nestles himself into the womb of a peasant girl and was birthed into the world on a cold night. He slept in a smelly stable in a crude wooden manger on cow's hay. And instantly, the world is changed and hope springs eternal with God's gift of love. But it still doesn't make much sense. Why did God choose a barn? Let's talk about Mary and Joseph for a minute. Mary and Joseph were two unsuspecting people simply living their lives as people had for hundreds of years. When all of a sudden, they were called by divinity to be instrumental in the entrance of God into the earth. Now think about this. I want you to apply everything I'm saying to you today that happened to Mary and Joseph. I want you to apply it to you. God wants your involvement in his entrance into the world. Mary was a simple teenager growing up in the home of her parents, living the normal life of a Jewish girl. Joseph was also simply living a simple life as a 20-year-old young man preparing to become a skilled carpenter just like his father before him. Now, if I was God, I don't know I would, that I would entrust a 20-year-old with the Messiah. Would you? At 20 years old, I don't know about you. I don't know about me. But these two young people were devout believers in their Jewish faith and had now fallen in love. I think after we get done with this message, I think you're going to see them as heroes of the faith. Mary had a surprise. The story of Mary begins basically in Luke chapter one. An angel comes to her and says to her in Luke chapter one, verse 37 and following, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That was a word that God gave to me about uh, 22 years ago when we purchased a house in Washington, D.C. for the National Prayer Center. I had gone into the house and I had talked to the man and said, we want to buy the house from you. And I walked out the door and uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, look at the address. I turned to my left and there it was, 137. The Lord said, look up Luke 137. I knew the context. But I didn't know the exact scripture. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now I walked out that door with no money to buy that house. But within six months, we had $150,000 and we purchased that house. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then it goes on. Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now, let's talk about these principles of Mary just for a minute. First of all, Mary was a virgin. A virgin conceived. That doesn't make sense. But miraculously, think about this. The seed of God entered the womb of a woman who had never known a man, and life was born in the dark pocket of Mary's womb. Light and life entered. And the darkness began to breathe with life. 
In the same way, now we've got to apply this, in the same way, God desires that in the dark pockets of your life, there would enter the seed of the word of God that Jesus would then fill you until you abound with his life. In every dark pocket, God wants to reign supreme. The Latin word for word that is used in the scripture is where we get our English word for sermon. It is also the Greek word for rhema or quickened word. So we talk about delivering the sermon. What did Mary do? She delivered the sermon, the word. And when the seed of the truth of God's word entered into Mary, the promise was, you shall conceive and bring forth a son. Of course, we know him as the Messiah. God, in the same way, wants there to be such a full entry of his life, his truth, and his word that we too will deliver Jesus. Wherever we go, we deliver the word. We deliver the sermon. That is exactly what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The sermon was delivered. The word became flesh. Mary delivered. We're also to deliver the seed, the word, the sermon that has been born in us. You will receive a seed if you want to and if you receive it today. That seed can grow into a sermon. That's really good, Pastor Ken. Also, Mary was highly favored. The Bible says she was highly favored. The verb translated highly favored in this Luke translation is only used two times in the New Testament. The other time it's used is Ephesians 1, 6, where it says, you were accepted or favored in the beloved. In other words, like Mary, you are highly favored and accepted as well, according to the scripture. This verse in Ephesians is saying this, to the saints, the accepted ones in Christ Jesus, you're highly favored and accepted. And with that acceptance comes the same possibilities and the same miracle presence that came to Mary because the same degree of favor that was present with her is present with us. I just decoded it for you. Oh, I love this. Then we find out Mary was a little confused. Luke 1 29, what manner of salutation is this? And it says that she was a little confused about everything. Basically, Mary was asking, what country, tribe, or people do you come from? Speaking to the angel. It's like saying, mister, the way you talk is not from this world. This is not something I'm familiar with in my life. And the message that comes from the Lord actually is a message from another world. Every time God speaks, it's from another world. And it invades our world and brings the possibility of breakthrough and miracles. Often the word of the Lord comes to us with God's promise. But because it is not of the world that we are accustomed to, a world of doubt, fear, limitation, pride, arrogance, habits and bondages, we say, well, that all sounds good, but I just don't get it. And the Lord says to us, I want you to welcome me into your world. Won't you come on in? 
Miracles happen here on a regular basis in my world, says God. He's trying to tell us that we don't need to live in the sub-miracle level of life. Did you hear me? The same miracles that Mary experienced are also available to us because we are also highly favored. Then Mary reasoned. She tried to figure out, in other words, the message on her own. In Luke 129, another translation says she cast in her mind. In other words, she reasoned in her mind. Casting about in, in the mind is an attempt at reasoning. It is probably the problem that we face the most often when dealing with the things of God and the kingdom of God. I don't get it, God. Yeah, because he comes from another world. And so we must quit trying to figure out how it can be done. Mary thinks this is beyond me because every miracle is beyond you. Every miracle is beyond all of us. So there we are in the darkness of a barren womb in our lives with nothing happening and we're reasoning and saying, uh, how can we get something going here, Lord? Maybe I ought to figure something out and do something. But the Lord invites you away from your reasoning and into obedience. We must put our intellectual abilities under the control of the spirit and the word of God. It is important to think. It is important to understand the word. But it is important to put all of that under the spirit of the living God. As long as the mind is worshipped above the word of God, there can only be struggling, reasoning, and rationalization. Mary did this when she said to the angel, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, she cast off reasoning and she simply obeyed. Be it done to me according to your word. I believe when she said that, that was the moment she was impregnated with the seed of the word of the living God because that is the word rhema. It was quickened in her. We must be abandoned to the word of God and we must say, Lord, I trust you. I don't see how, but I'm not going to mess around with it anymore. I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to bring my mind under the control of the word and the spirit. And then you have the possibility for a miracle. Then in Luke 134, it said, Mary wondered. It said, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's basically saying this. I have not had the relationship that will bring this about or I haven't had the experience necessary for this. And we too have probably said that many times. We probably said, well, some people have the kind of relationship with God that they can believe for anything and it happens, but I don't have that kind of great faith. And therefore God can't work miracles in me. Now listen, if the Lord always approached us on the basis of our experience and our relationship, then there would never be a miracle possibility because everything tainted by human flesh is destined for death. God's miracle is not going to be based on your experience, growth, development, effort, or what you can produce in your life. His miracle is based on his promise and his commitment and on his declaration, not upon anything that you do in your life. And there was a miracle entry of God's seed in his life into this sealed off dark pocket of Mary's womb and his breath brought about a miracle. 
Not because she deserved it. She performed it. Did anything for it. She just believed. She said, do it to me according to your word. And the God who made you for better things than you may have experienced is fully able today to fulfill his destined purpose for you just by the touch of his breath upon you. If we only understood the world that we live in, not the natural world, the supernatural world. And then we, we see that Mary was then open to God. Verse 38, then Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. So Mary's openness to the working of the Lord is what opened up her miracle. Can I say this? You can also have a Mary miracle at a Merry Christmas time. That's pretty good. A Merry miracle at Merry Christmas time. And I pray that in the sealed off dark pockets of need in your life, you would say, I receive, just like Mary, I receive the entrance of the word that gives life and light. Let there come forth the Son of God in his full power in me and bring about God's miracle. I think we need to be saying and declaring much more. We need to do what she did. I receive the entrance of the word. You say that with me right now. I receive the entrance of the word. When you say that, you see, we, I don't have time for that part. Uh, when you declare things, you actually become a God image bearer who creates life because you're made in the image of God and your tongue declares things and it shall be. And when Mary said that, let it be done to me according to your word, she was saying it. She actually created it with her faith, agreeing with the seed of the word of God, which brought forth that light and that life and that gift. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The Lord would say this. He is the father of light in all of your darkness. There's a song we're going to sing sometime, Mark. It's uh, even in darkness, to God it's light. Even in the darkness, to God, there is no darkness. It's only light. And what occurred here, God is offering, offered Mary a gift and he offers us a gift. The light of the Father has entered the dark pocket of every need of your life and the womb of your circumstances, which seem to be sealed off from possibilities and is now offering you a miracle if you're open to it. But you have to speak it. You have to receive it. You have to declare it. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then it will move in right where you are. So my question to you this morning is we're, as we're moving down to the end here. Where is your need? Where is your darkness? Where are your shadows? Let God enter them. Wherever you are, whatever you lack, wherever his light must enter to release and bring health, strength, wisdom, discretion, understanding, open up now and receive him into the womb of your life and receive your miracle. How many need a miracle right now? I think we all probably could say, yeah, I think I need a miracle. And when we do, we become... Like Mary, I don't know about you, but Mary and Joseph are some of my heroes. They're teenagers. They're teenagers. And God 
entrust them with the Messiah. And they, they obey and they listen and God creates a miracle. Now, I'm gonna go to Joseph now for the next, just the last few minutes. Joseph has an amazing story. I'm gonna read it quickly out of Matthew uh, chapter one. Matthew one and uh, following. In Matthew chapter one, verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. What a hero. What a hero. I mean, if you look at the natural circumstances here, we, we would think, Joseph, you know, Joseph, are you thinking right? But he did. He obeyed. What were Joseph's thoughts in Bethlehem. You ever think about that? The night in the stable. Here he is, one of his first husband duties, and he finds himself in a barn. What was he thinking while Jesus was being born? What was on his mind while Mary is giving birth? Come on, we look at these stories and we, oh, that's just a fable of fantasy. No, it's true. It happened. Here is a young man, a young woman who had never given birth before. And what, what was on his mind during this time? He, he had made Mary as comfortable as he could, but there's no midwife and there's no doctor to help. Koki, would you like to be in that situation? I wouldn't either. I, I kind of see Joseph somewhat animated, pacing, wondering, uh, maybe a little confused and a little scared. He's probably thinking, this isn't the way I had it planned. My child being born in a stable with sheep and donkeys, hay and straw? My wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her pain? This isn't what I imagined. I imagined family and neighbors and friends surrounding us as we heard the first cry of the little baby in familiar surroundings and in our own home. But that isn't the way God set it up. Have you noticed that God usually doesn't set it up the way you want it? Hardly ever. And he's thought to himself, this doesn't seem right. What kind of a husband am I anyway? There's no midwife, no bed, no blankets, no pillow, no help. The smell is bad. The animals are noisy. God, did I miss something? I don't know about you, but I've said that before. God, have I missed something here? When the angel came and spoke of the Son of God being born, this is not what I pictured. I don't know about you, but 
If I was Joseph, I would have envisioned Jerusalem, the temple, uh, priests, the people gathered to watch, a pageant perhaps, a parade, maybe even a banquet. Come on, for goodness sakes, he is the Messiah. What is going on, God? Have you ever said that? I have. What, what are you thinking, God? He doesn't have to tell you what he's thinking. He probably won't tell you what he's thinking. He wants your trust and obedience because he's God. And then Joseph probably thought, you know, God, you can do what you want because he's really not my son. He's yours. The child is yours. The plan is yours. The idea is yours. And this is how God Almighty planned for Jesus to enter the world. But Lord, I still don't get it. Why a birth in a stable? It's just so bizarre. But God always has his plans and purposes. Joseph probably had some of those thoughts. And we have all had thoughts. Thoughts when we go through situations that we know God is in, but not sure why. We've all stood where Joseph stood, caught between what God says and what makes sense. Come on, people. Am I speaking to alive people today? Is this making sense? I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I often say, I, I don't get it, God. What about this, God? God, what are you thinking? You've done whatever he's told you to do, only to wonder if it was him speaking to you in the first place. You've lingered between doubt and belief, just like Joseph. You've asked if you're still on the right road. You've asked if there's a plan behind his scheme. Things just haven't turned out like you thought they would. And each of us knows what it is like to search the night for a light or a star for hope. Not outside a stable, but perhaps outside an emergency room. Maybe on the side of a road. Maybe on the manicured grass of a cemetery. And there we have asked our questions. A lot like Joseph. What are you doing, God? We question God's plan. We've wondered why God does what he does. And if you were asking what Joseph asked, let me urge you to do what Joseph did. He simply obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed when the angel called. Now, this is why I, I'm going to have a long sit down with Joseph when I get to heaven. I, I think he's a hero. He obeyed when Mary explained. He obeyed when God sent for him. He was obedient to God. He was obedient when the sky was bright. He was obedient when the sky was dark. He didn't let his confusion disrupt his obedience. He didn't know everything, but he did what he knew to do, and he did it. So, decoding all this, what about you? Just like Joseph, I'm sure you don't see the whole picture. Just like Joseph, your job is to see that Jesus is brought into your part of the world. Just like Joseph, you have a choice to obey or disobey. And because Jesus obeyed, or excuse me, Joseph obeyed, God used him to change the world. Think about that. Joseph obeyed, he changed the world. So my question to you is, can he do the same thing with you? Yes. 
can he use you to change the world? The answer is yes. Yes. God still is looking for Joseph's today. Men and women who believe that he is not through with this world and is looking for some people to obey. Common people who serve an uncommon God. Will that be you? Will you serve even when you don't understand? There are many questions about the Bible that we, that we aren't able to understand. I have, man, we're going to have Bible college in heaven. Many times we will ponder, I, I, I wonder, I wonder. But in our wonderings, there's one question we never need to ask. Does God care? Do we matter to God? Does he still love his children? We know the answer to that. Yes, yes. Yes. This week, I, I was pondering. It just came, in fact, Connie and I were praying this a lot this week. It came to me as I was praying. A little, little phrase in Psalms 23. We've all heard it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's powerful. Surely goodness and mercy following me. Everywhere I go, they're following me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. I don't know. Last night I, I was just in worship. I was praying. I'd wake up and get back into worship again. And I saw through this story, this message today, through the small face of that stable born baby, God says, yes, yes, yes to all of our questions. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes. yes, your name is written in heaven. Yes, death has been defeated. Yes, God has entered your world. Yes, God is conquering. For Emmanuel, God is with us, is with us. So as I close, I think we need to be Mary's and receive God's word and produce a miracle. I think we need to be Joseph's and just simply obey what God says and see how he changes our world. I mean, God's looking for some Joseph's. God's looking for some Mary's who will have the heart. I'm just amazed at them. They're, they're some of the heroes of the faith for me. I want you to watch this. Uh, I chose a song that lines up with this message today. I want you to watch this video, this song. It talks about a manger, and a cross. Watch this. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.